1: Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: One late fall morning, prominent journalist Frank Bruni, whom you know from all his years at the New York Times, woke up and suddenly could not see out of his right eye. What happened to Frank Bruni, and how did he turn devastation... And terror into something very positive. Come join Frank and me straight ahead over WAVC.
1: The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats.
2: Not too long ago, I got a present, a sweet present, a chocolate present. And it was from someone who knew her chocolates. And she wanted to share with me one of her discoveries. Dean, D-E-A-N, apostrophe S, Dean Sweets, out of Portland, Maine. The address, 475 F-O-R-E, 4th Street, and 54 Cove Street. Online, deansuites.com, 207-899-3664. And the original was started, the company, by an architect who loves chocolate. And next thing you know, everyone in this part of Maine is talking about chocolate. These elegant hand dipped truffles, caramels, buttercream, their sauces, their confections. And interesting, they don't use any nuts or nut products. So if you're buying chocolate or enjoying chocolate and you've got an allergy, a nut allergy, you don't have to worry at all. Their ingredients are incredible. Almost everything is local. The maple syrup is harvested. In Madison, the sea salt is from Marshfield. The cream is from a farm. In Albion, the butter is from a creamery in Scarsborough and so on. A beer is from local Portland company, potato chips, spirits, and even coffee from a company in Portland. It's a great gift to send. They come beautifully wrapped just as, hello, it's spring Try to be happy and enjoy and you can do your own custom chocolate assortment. You can have any one of their thirty flavors. I love the salt caramel and I love the buttercream. And a box of eight is nineteen fifty and a box of sixteen is thirty four fifteen plus shipping. So if you want a chocolate street for Passover or Easter, think about jeans. They have chocolate bunnies that are 70% dark chocolate they have creamy milk chocolate or white they're individual they're charming they can even be made sweeter with ribbons and they come in three sizes little one for 850 a medium for 1550 and a large which is a lot and they have chocolate sheep chocolate covered chicken bunny peeps Again, very reasonable, five fifty, And for Passover, double dark chocolate covered matzah. You're going to thank me for this. And non-dairy truffles. They ship all across the country. They ship everywhere. So go on to com, and you can even call if you want. 207-899-3064. Dean's Sweets. Absolutely yum.
1: The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
0: I'm
2: really excited for all of you to say hello to Frank Bruni. And you know Frank, who has been a very important journalist for more than three decades over 30 years including most of which was spent at the new york times and frank still doing work for the times and still contributes to op-edge and has a newsletter has worn so many incredible hats white house correspondent the rome bureau chief for the times a restaurant critic And, of course, op-ed. And now, as well as so many of these credits, a professor at Duke University. Frank is here today because he wrote a book that a lot of people are talking about. It's called The Beauty of Dusk. And I'm going to let Frank explain. But just I want to remind you that you can say hello in person at White Plains Public Library on April 5th. He'll be talking about the new book, and the event is 7 to 8 o'clock. So mark that on your calendar. And Frank tells a story, the very beginning of which we can all relate to. He, For some ailment or not, he wakes up one morning. It was fall, I think October, of 2017, and his right eye was all fuzzy. Now, if that happens to any of us initially, what? You got something in it, you're pulling down your lash, you irritated it. Now, women often got mascara in it, but that wasn't Frank's story. It turns out that he had suffered a very unusual stroke that damaged his optic nerve. And that fog across the right side of his vision was real, not psychosomatic. And it was so real that a prominent doctor at the time said it could also happen in your other eye. What could be more frightening than that? And now we have the beauty of dusk on Vision Lost and Found. So it's an incredible story. And most of us have had something that we can find a million excuses for until we can't anymore. And that's what happened to you.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and thank you, Joan. You described it perfectly. Um, you know, we we uh, as we age and I was only 52 when this happened. So, uh, you know, it was an earlier encounter with medical crisis and a lot of people uh, are fortunate enough to experience. Many people comes later. But as you said, you know, these things happen in our lives. And and the book is about and my story is about how I um, avoided the self-pity uh, that definitely threatened to consume me, um, how I avoided the fear that definitely threatened to define my life. Um, I feel at the end of the day quite blessed because although I still suffer some difficulties with my vision, although I do live with this risk, about 20% of going blind entirely. This episode um, forced me to think, reflect, and learn a whole lot about the way I was living my life uh, and the control that I had over my outlook that I'd never learned before. Um, that's why I call the book The Beauty of Dusk. I mean, Dusk is a, is a reference both to my clouded vision and to sort of the, the span of the human day. Um, but I came to to see things. I, I have new vision, Joan, not just in terms of, of worse eyesight, but I have better insight. Um, and, uh, and that's what the book's about.
2: Well, and Frank, when I read the book, I kept saying, I can't believe how adaptable he is and how he wouldn't allow This misery, which was easy to collect and accept, he wouldn't allow this to determine who he was or what was happening. And Frank, you also had a mother who set an incredible example. She had a very serious illness. She had a really bad kind of cancer, but nothing stopped her. She went about her life doing things she had always done, maybe even more. And that was sort of a lesson that probably you didn't think you would have to learn that quickly, but you did.
1: Uh, She she was so much in my memory, Uh, the example of her, the model of her, as I kind of figured out how to move on from this episode in my life. Um, and and I, I, I thank you for saying um, that I seemed unusually uh, exceptionally adaptable. But I really have come to believe, Joan, both in revisiting my mother's story, which is in the book, in collecting stories from people all around me. The book is as much about People I sought wisdom from, as it is about me, and people who had many different kinds of ailments, not just eyesight stuff, sometimes hearing mm. impairments, sometimes parkinson's um, i I did find that I was more resilient than I ever thought I would be. I did find that I adapted in ways I couldn't have imagined, but I also honestly believe and believe through all of it i'm ordinary i'm not extraordinary, and my What I learned and my message to people is is you are are nimbler as a human being than you have any idea. You just haven't been called upon by circumstances to demonstrate that. Um, You have coping mechanisms and you have strength that you probably don't realize. And so as you go through your life, and especially as you age, know that. Take some comfort from that. Have some reassurance from that. Um, Because we are, you know, Joan, there was a judge, a very distinguished judge whom I interviewed extensively for the book. I tell a story in the book. Um, He uh, ascended to the zenith of the legal profession, despite having been completely blind from his early 30s until his retirement in his 70s. Um, And one evening, I walked with him from his chambers eight blocks to the Washington Metro, which we then took to his home to meet his wife for dinner, And he basically led me on that walk through auditory cues, through knowing his physical location, from memorizing it over time. Um, He could get to the Metro from his chambers as a blind man crossing streets that had traffic um, all on his own. And I was just there as a fail safe. And after we sat down in the in the Washington Metro on the train, he turned to me, Joan, and he said, you know, Frank, starfish can regrow limbs but that's nothing compared to what people can do. And he's right about that. And that is a central part of my message.
2: And you learned lessons too about the power of the brain, but so much of what you write, we relate to that feeling of fear, that how do you step over that, that terror that if so many bad things can happen, now you know that other bad things can happen because even in addition to a physical infirmity, which was totally out of the blue, I mean, how many people think about their eyes other than, Oh, I'm getting older. My vision is not as good, but not terrible things. You just had another loss. Your partner of many, many years decided that in his case, Maybe enough was enough, but should he leave when you were in a terrible situation, you had to deal with that. You had a lot of loss. So even though you rose above it, it's an extraordinary process that you let go of the fear and the terror of the unknown, which you could not control. And taught us lessons.
1: Well, you know, um, I, think, I think one realizes in a situation like this, uh, if things go well, and by the way, there are extreme hardships and terrible deprivations that, uh, that, that can't be um, transcended or navigated just with a positive attitude and a of outlook. I mean, there are things too much to cope with. What I was given, I could cope with. Um, and I realized early, and this was so important, that if I gave in to my fear, Um, If I let myself sink into a hole of self-pity, it wasn't going to change my circumstance. It was just going to consign me to a kind of living that was more negative and sadder and less fulfilling and less meaningful than if I found a psychological and emotional way to work around fear and self-pity. What's happened has happened. Excuse me. What's lost has been lost. Um, And you can grieve that, and you should, at least briefly, but you can stay focused on that or you can do a tally on all the abilities you still have, on all the blessings that remain, on all the pleasures that are still accessible to you. And it just makes more sense as you go through the rest of your life to do that other more more positive, more optimistic tally. Mm.
2: And like so many of us, and your career was thriving and everything was okay, even though through your other books, we knew there were many sides to a person. There's the side we see publicly and there's their interior side, which very rarely do we get to take a little peek at an inside life, but you shared that with us, with your books about how tough it was losing weight, about feeling like an outsider, about being gay and dealing with this with family and friends. And as a journalist, you understood something which not everyone does, the art of listening, which is how all these people opened up to you in a very unusual way.
1: You know, I was very fortunate to be able to talk with them and to be able to tell their stories. And, yes, maybe I guess part of it is because I have learned how to listen and I know how to listen. And you're right. That's an important thing. But there was something else um, going on that, I, that I'd like everyone to keep in mind. We we suffer from an excess of courtesy, you know, from a surfeit of politeness. And often with the people in our lives who are struggling or have, or who have been through struggles, we often avoid asking them about those. We think maybe they don't want to talk about it. Um, we think maybe we're not really kind of equipped to hear it. But if you invite the people around you to share what they've been through, um, they're often extremely grateful for that. You know, they, they want to talk and they want you to listen. And they often harbor extraordinary bits of wisdom um, that were so foolish not to access. And I just felt like there were teachers all around me. Um, and now they're in the book whom I'd never had the good sense to ask what they had to teach me before. And part of my journey after this medical crisis was asking those questions at long last.
2: And they talked to you. I mean, it was almost like they were happy to share it, to open up, to get rid of it and take everyone on their journey. And if you hadn't done this, we never would have known whether it was your good college friend who you know a great life and parkinson's suddenly rears its head and how she deals with it and of course i'm sure everyone has told you about the dog chapter when you were at your loneliest <laughs> you convinced your brother to give up a dog that he had adopted and that was pretty brazen you know you <laughs> took this not a little tiny dog a dog <laughs> with a capital okay. d
1: I I was just out with her, yeah. She's a good 52, 53 pounds. I was yeah, just big. out with her in the woods near my house. Yeah, we were... I was just watching her chase the deer in the neighborhood. Um, yeah, no, I played on my brother's heartstrings and sympathy because I very much wanted a dog in my life again. And I thought to myself, if I if I act, if if, <laughs> if I make him pity me, he'll give me his dog, which he did. But he was also an empty nester um, who really kind of wasn't, was having a harder and harder time doing right by the dog. But the dog is in the book, Joan, and I'm glad you mentioned the dog because I think it can be really important when you go through – kind of crisis like I did and when self-pity is a possible danger um, when you can become really consumed with worry about yourself it can be a really smart and good thing to take some of that energy and turn it outward maybe in some people's cases it's turned outward to a cause I felt like if I were caring for another being in this case my dog Regan it would redirect a lot of the energy energy that could be negative energy of dread and worry about my condition it would redirect that to the generosity of caring about someone, or in this case, some some other being. Um, And I think it was a really emotionally wise and healthy thing to do that helped me get through this.
2: Right. And now these few years later, when your life to us on the outside seems dramatically changed from a New York city who had fingers in so many pots To living in and around a college campus and teaching and not eating in a restaurant every night, not doing the things that you always did. Who are you? Do you recognize yourself? Is this new you
1: easy for you to (laughs) deal with? Um, This new me is is a gift from me to me. Um, These were things, uh, you know, slowing down a little bit, trading Manhattan, which I love, but where I'd lived for almost two decades, trading it for a place that was was different and new and greener and could offer me, you know, steps from my home forest walks. The dog and I just did five miles today. Um, These were Mm -hmm. things I was always interested in doing, and I thought I'm going to do them soon. And I think what I realized after this stroke, um, the stroke which which taught which kind of hammered home to me, you don't know what the future holds. You don't know what your abilities will or won't be in the future. Um, I thought anything I'm thinking about doing soon, anything I'm thinking of doing in a couple of years, well, why not do it in a couple of months? You know, follow your curiosity in the present. Seize the pleasures you're contemplating in real time because the future, as we've talked about, Joan, is entirely uncertain.
2: But When you had the medical incident, and we can all reach out and touch that fear of the unknown and go with you on that trip, but when you decide to leave everything in your grown-up life that you've been involved in to start a very different kind of life, was there fear in that, or was the new you, I'm ready, I'm going to embrace it, I'm out of here?
1: The the new me was ready and I was going to embrace it. And, And it was a measured, calculated, you know, titrated thing. You know, I still, as you mentioned earlier, I still do maintain a fairly strong connection to The New York Times. You know, I'm still writing. Obviously, we're talking about this book. So I did change a lot of the circumstances and certainly a lot of the cosmetics of my life, but I remain a writer I remain a reader. I remain someone who puts my opinions out in the world. And that through line, that thread of continuity, I think, gave me a feeling of of, of safety and, and and a grounding that made the changes that I did make possible.
2: Yeah. And we're very lucky that you took us along with you. And is this life, which is an academic life, but still, I'm sure, very social, Is this, does this change the way again you see things and think of things? Or is this a moment in a very interesting journey?
1: I would say all of the above. Um, I do feel that stepping away from New York um, into a, a purple state, you know, where there are some very interesting and diverse political cross currents. I think I think that has me looking at at some aspects of American life in a new way and being in the classroom and thinking, what do I want to tell these students about the world that helps you define and refine for yourself what you think of the world, what you what you think about the world. And I I I find myself dwelling in a place of of, of nuance and complexity that sometimes just churning out op ed columns doesn't really reward. Um, I, I'm getting to see and I'm using an eyesight metaphor here, Joan, but I'm getting to see in shades of gray again. Um, and I think that's appropriate. And I think that uh, that's right for me right now.
2: I'm talking to Frank Bruni, the beauty of dusk on vision lost and found. And in the book, many different chapters, including a chapter talking about the death of Anthony Bourdain, of Kate Spade, Alan Kruger. And it's funny because they're pushing a documentary on Anthony and it was so appropriate to read it in your book and of course you're non judgmental but it was really a fascinating look at the inside of these people and what we saw was so different from the reality
1: yeah there's such an important lesson there i think so many of us joan go through life um envying people we see around us making assumptions Uh, about them, that they are striding through the world with complete unfettered confidence, that they are on glide paths to their success. But we don't know that. Those are all assumptions, and and more often than not, they're myths. And they're really dangerous, destructive myths, because when we make, when we don't recognize that people all around us have struggled, are struggling, carry some pain that we can't see, when we don't recognize that, we don't understand our own place. Um, in the universe of people, and and we we tend to see we're prone to self pity about what we're going through, and we tend to ask the question why me when why why me when the real question uh, that is true to what the world is like for most people is why not me you know so I thought it was really important to talk about some of those extremely successful people who in a fairly short period of time ended their own lives and thus taught us you cannot make assumptions that other people have it easier, that other people have found happiness via a much more direct and immediate route than you have. We don't know the story of other people's lives. We don't know their interiors, and it's important to remember that.
2: No, private suffering is exactly what it is. It's private suffering. And I noted, of course, when you talk about our hardships and you talk about Maybe we should have sandwich boards that would reveal a kind of reveal a kind of truth. And did people react to that?
1: Yeah, I mean that's the cha- the chapter of the book uh, that that talks about Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade and is called the sandwich board theory of life. Absolutely, that's the one that people bring up to me the most. Um, and the concept in there, the kind, of, the kind of idea I throw out in there, it's just a sort of thought exercise, is if we all walked around with sandwich boards that just briefly listed some of the main struggles we were going through or had recently been through, we would all be much less prone to self-pity because we would see that our own struggle um, is, is normal and is kind of the default human condition. And we would all be much quicker to empathy and much less judgmental. Um and boy, could we stand to be less judgmental in, in in our lives right now in America.
2: That's for sure. But are you as a person and you're a person whom I always thought following you, reading you, envying you in Rome during those delicious years mm. that you relished the moment, which is a gift in itself. And It's a different kind of relishing now, but still, I'm sure a great meal still tastes extraordinary.
1: Tastes better than ever. Um, I hope I relished moments in the past because I've had such a privileged and blessed life, but I definitely relish the moment and the pleasures that come to me uh, in an amplified way now. Um, just because <clears throat> when this happened to me and I thought about all the times in my life that I felt burdened or I felt disadvantaged or I felt like I was uh, the the object of bad luck, this happened. I was told, hey, you're never going to see out of your right eye again and you might go mm-hmm. blind. And I realized, man, those, <laughs> those complaints I Amazing. had in the past, those, those flights, yeah, boy, was I a jerk. And, and I, I am determined in the aftermath of this. Um, to, as I said, tally my blessings, um, to recognize and appreciate the pleasures in a given hour or in a given day, um, because it's just silly and wasteful and spoiled to do the opposite.
2: You can read Frank's book, The Beauty of Dusk, and it's on vision lost and found. And I love that you did this. It makes a big difference for all of us, and I wish you all the best luck in the world, and keep on sharing, because it Thank does you. make a difference.
1: Thank you, Joan. It's, it's lovely to talk to you.
2: And you. Take care of yourself. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to W A V C.
1: The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg, entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
2: Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. Now, those of you who are my loyal listeners know I love cookbooks. And I love Dory Greetsman because she is the best cookbook writer. I think that baking with Dory, sweet, salty, and simple, Is her 13th, I could be wrong, but I know she's been writing cookbooks for probably 30 years, and this is such an incredible cookbook. It's her 14th cookbook, and she's got a fabulous journey on how she went from maybe getting a PhD or a doctorate to baking cookies. And that, for her, was life-changing. I love baking with Dory. There are incredible recipes with wonderful photographs, and we can do them. That's the part I love the most. You really take us by the hand. But, Dory, let's start from the beginning again. You, When you were a kid, you started cooking, and you said to me at one point years ago— I think I burned my parents' kitchen down when I was a young girl, and that was it for cooking and baking.
0: That's exactly right. First of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I think we were together for my very first book. I'm sure. Which, I know. I love that. So yeah, you know, my mom didn't cook very much, so I didn't have I didn't have a, a model. But one day I was with friends, I think I was in seventh grade, and we decided to make frozen French fries. And I put them in hot boiling oil and it actually mm. tried to, right, put a lid on top of the boiling oil. It, yeah, I burned my parents' kitchen down. Mm. And that was, <laughs> that was the end of cooking for a while. But, uh, you know, I got married when I was 19 years old. And so it wasn't such a long time between not cooking and having. Right, and cooking. (laughs) And cooking, right. And I discovered I loved cooking and I loved baking. It was was such a surprise to me.
2: So what made you? You were going, I think you had told me, for a doctorate in gerontology. So where did the almost professional cookie thing come in at that point.
0: So I took time off to work on my dissertation, which I never finished. I always say it's the deadline I didn't meet.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: And had the kid who's now grown and just couldn't face going back to, to, to academics. And my husband, the wonderful Michael, said, you know, you love to bake why don't you see if that's what you can do? And with his encouragement and my <laughs> my reluctance to go back to what I had started, I began to bake. And it did, as you said, change my life.
2: And it was a cookie. And luckily, it Dory you,
0: <laughs> It was a cookie.
2: <laughs> you produced a child who loved to eat the cookies.
0: Yeah, what would I have done if he didn't? Hmm. Yes, you're right. He loved cookies. He always he always refers to himself as a not quite reformed cookie monster.
2: I know. Me too. I love cookies. (laughs) They have to be really good cookies. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the over the counter store bought cookie, but I love wonderful cookies, and. I love all your recipes, and then your your Cookie Monster child produced a baby cookie person, and I got a big <laughs> kick out of reading when they said they don't want to give their child sweets because I heard that from mine. Oh, don't don't give her cookies. She we're not bringing her up on sweets. Well, guess what? <laughs> oh, I'm laughing so because yes, of
0: course that's what they said because we're waiting for her first birthday. Um, and I got to bake her little cookies for her first, kind of like cookie cakes, for mm-hmm. her first birthday. And you know what? The baby loves cookies. How could she not? No surprise, right? <laughs> exactly.
2: I said I never met sugar, butter, and flour that I didn't think was fantastic <laughs> mushed together <laughs> in, in some form. But your life started changing A lot. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, maybe I can do this. It's another thing to win every award that one can win for all your work and all your cookbooks. And did you ever take time and stop and say, no, I'm not going to do this, or it just kept on happening? You know,
0: that's such a funny thing to ask, because when I finished... Everyday Dory, which was published in 2018. It was my 13th book. And I thought, that's it. Baker's Dozen. Nice way to finish cookbook writing. And then it was was like minutes after I announced that I was finished that um, Baking with Dory started to take shape. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I had the wonderful, wonderful chance to work with Julia Child, and she famously said to find something that you're interested in and stay interested in it all your life. And I found food and I found writing, and I consider myself so lucky to have found those two things. And yeah, I, I, it's it's what I wanted to do. And I had this idea for Baking with Dory. And I said, well, mm, and I just, I, I, I thought, I'll just see how it feels to go back. And it felt so good.
2: It's the work I love to do. But amazing that this book, Baking with Dory, has 150 recipes, but they're new. They're your new favorites.
0: I know. I know. So that. But that's what's so exciting about food, I think. Once you start working with ingredients, um, you just get new ideas. It's it's it, you you think, okay, I can make this pie, and then you look around and you say, hmm, what if I added what if I added peaches to this instead of the apples that I wanted to use? Or what if Here's some sumac. What would that be like in a lemon cake? Here's a, and the ingredients are just so exciting and the ideas for putting them together. Um, I feel like there's always something new in food. Well, but if, if you,
2: what you're saying is true and you managed to do it. I always look when I read cookbooks or baking books for chocolate chip cookies because to me that's a test. You know, is there anything new? Is it the same recipe, time and time again. Maybe a little more salt, a different kind of chocolate. But then I looked at your chocolate chip cookies, and they are different. I haven't baked them yet, but I thought today might be a good day.
0: Well, I would say to you, any day is a good day for, for chocolate, chocolate chip any, for chocolate chip cookies. Any day is good, but it's again, you know. I think, and this must be true in in many, many fields, but I feel like the more you think about one single subject, the broader it gets. So you start, because you're concentrating on it, and so you get new ideas. And with chocolate chip cookies, you start, or I started to think, hmm, what if I rolled them out so there's the one big break-apart chipper? And I took the dough and rolled it out all kind of higgledy-tiggledy <laughs> and baked it flat. So you could just, you have know, one big cookie that you can reach into and just break off chunks um, and nibble. And because, the, te- because the, the thickness has changed, the texture changes. The way you eat it, the way you feel about it when you eat it changes. Um, there's just, it's so much fun to take one form. And start playing with it. And it works all
2: the time. And it works. But it works. What and the book is divided into categories breakfast, cookies, cakes, little pastries, basics. It has everything. Hot fudge sauce that is looks fantastic. But Dory even has, which I thought, how is she gonna do this? A clam chowder pie. Now what made you where did that come from?
0: You know, it, it's so we were having clam chowder for dinner, and I looked at the soup and thought, I could make a pie out of this. And it was so much fun to take the ingredients and rework them um, to make this pie. And then I thought, so my husband adores oyster those little crackers that go so on with clam chowder. Of course. And... When when I put the oyster eggs on top of the pie and baked them, I just I just fell in love with it. It was so much fun to have all the flavors of clam chowder and to have those adorable little oyster eggs on top. Um, it was it was it was. I still get excited. So when something when when I when I work on something and it comes out right, I, I, Michael says he can hear me say yes in the kitchen. <laughs> Um, after all these years and all these recipes, it's still
2: exciting. Is Michael a big sweet eater? Does he love cookies, cakes?
0: He loves, he loves, yes, but he, Joni's fussy and, um, and, he, and, he has, and he has favorites. And so I'll always be trying to make something new. And he'll be saying things like, you know, that corn top coffee cake that you made, don't you want
2: to mm. make it again? Right. Or that salted caramel pie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He's
0: my favorite.
2: I, well, it's, it's interesting. I grew up where my mom made a chocolate marble cake every week for the weekend. We're a big family and it was always homemade, everything. But that marble cake, I've had wonderful people try to help me redevelop it and everything. It had big chunks of chocolate in it.
0: But, mm. And then
2: Baking with Dory, you have, and I circled it, a coconut milk chocolate marble cake. Yes. And a lot of marble cakes, the cake part, the yellow or the white, is dry. But this recipe, because of the coconut milk, Looks quite spectacular.
0: I love this recipe. It will not taste like your mother's. You know that, <laughs> of course. <laughs> uh, um, but it is. But in some ways, it's kind. It's because it's so hard to recreate the flavors that we remember from childhood. Because I think we remember the the moments as much as we remember the flavors, and those are. Those are unrecapturable, um, so it's sometimes nice to take to have something that might remind you of the original, but you know it's going to be very different, and so it does, it doesn't get measured against against. Memory. against,
2: right? Uh, but but I I love that too, and I just have this love affair with marble cakes, but Dory doesn't stop. It's every single kind of cake that you can think about. All the things that you love, eclairs and profiteroles Mm. Mm, and cream puffs. And from her travels, I have circled the chocolate cake that she found a recipe. I think it was the Lisbon chocolate cake.
0: Yes. So that cake, it's actually the cake that's on the cover. Um, We were in Lisbon and in a taxi going to the airport and realized we had an extra hour. And so we stopped um, at this area where there were lots of art galleries and bookstores and this one cafe that served coffee, tea, and one cake, this cake, this chocolate cake. And I fell in love with it, but we had to leave. So I never got the recipe from the cafe, I recreated it when I got home. And it's a chocolate layer, very dark, almost like a brownie. And then it's a chocolate ganache, so a mixture of melted chocolate and heavy cream. It's whipped, so it feels almost moussey. And then it's a layer of cocoa powder. So it's Mm. chocolate three ways. I love this cake. And I was so excited when it ended up being the... Cover cake, and the cake is gluten free, which I didn't realize. I made the cake, and I didn't realize until I gave it to someone else, and they said, "You know, this cake is gluten free." And I thought, "She's right." Which one? The one on the cover, the Lisbon chocolate cake. This one, no, it looks
2: gorgeous too.
0: It's so delicious. It.
2: Yeah, and. Dory, how do you and your family, when you're baking all the time, stop from blowing up like a Macy's balloon?
0: <laughs> Years ago. So, I, you know, I, the thing about baking is um, you never bake one cookie. You never bake one tiny little cake. So there's always a lot. And so, I, you know, I think baking, baking is something we do to share. And so I practice what I call bake and release. (laughs) I bake, I taste, I share with my family, and then, thank goodness, I have neighbors.
2: That's, oh, they must love you.
0: (laughs) It, It works. It's so great because, you know, I'm baking just about every day. So it means that I can make a fresh start in the morning and make something new, and I can make my neighbors happy. It's perfect. Bake and release.
2: It's perfect, and baking with Dory. If you're making something for your own birthday or occasion, what cake would it be? Or you love them all?
0: Oh, you know, this is really this is June. You know, I thought we were friends. This is a hard question, um, but I do love the Devil's Food Cake. Um, you know, I'm a chocolate girl.
2: Mm-hmm. And what? Tell everyone what makes that one so special.
0: Um, well, chocolate, for starters. Of course. Um, yes. But it's also, I love the the balance of frosting to cake. You know, it's, it's so hard for me. I'm, I'm saying the chocolate cake, and then I'm thinking, oh, but I love the plain, it's not so plain, almond cake, the, the fika cake, the cake that is a chocolate Coffee break cake in Sweden, and then I love a bun cake. And I, am I'm impossible. I real, you know, I take it. Oh, this, but they're all good. I have a favorite, <laughs> and and Too different hard.
2: things. Like I can't wait to do the crumb topped ricotta coffee cake, which you had alluded to, and that's, that's under breakfast. But I love that kind of cake.
0: That's- I love. Well, crumbs, crumbs, and crumbs are. are I think I put crumbs on anything. I put crumbs, actually, so that's a sweet cake and it has berries um, and that wonderful crumble top. But I also made a savory pie, a spinach mozzarella pie, and made Parmesan cheese crumbs for the top of that. Mm. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, and I made a cheese streusel to put on what is essentially a cheese babka. I love crumbs. I love the way they look. I love the texture and that they add a little, a little crunch to something that might be soft. Mm. It's nice. I'm talking to Dory Greenspan
2: with her latest book, baking with Dory. Now I look forward every Sunday to the New York times magazine where a Dori did one of her incredible desserts, but you, you're not doing that at the moment. What are you up to now that baking with Dory is
0: out? So um, because, because I'm kind of nonstop. I'm writing, and I'm having so much fun doing this. I'm writing a newsletter. It's called Exo Dory, and it comes out twice a week. Um, I do a newsletter on Tuesday and on Friday. The newsletters have recipes. They have stories. They have tips and things from my travels, um, so it's XOXO Dory.
2: And how do people get that?
0: You can sign up, um, subscribe at dorygreenspan.bulletin.com. dorygreenspan.bulletin.com. And I'll turn up Tuesdays and Fridays in your inbox.
2: Well, I look forward. I would have preferred if you showed up in my kitchen, but I'll accept With that. Cookies. <laughs> with cookies anytime. Thank you, Dory. Congratulations. Continued success. All the best to you and yours. Baking with Dory, you're going to be very happy. And the photographs are just gorgeous. I'm Joan Hamburg. I can't wait to bake. And there's lots more on WABC, so stay tuned. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. We're starting to get a lot of travel questions. So let me give you a little bit of advice which can make it easier if you are going to start. You can join TSA PreCheck or Global Entry. Now, a lot of us had it, but it may have expired during the pandemic. If you join these, it can save you long lines and a lot of the frustrations at the airport. So this may be a good time before the real rush on travel begins. If you have these programs, you get through security lines much faster and they eliminate a lot of measures like you don't take off your shoes, your belt, you don't have to remove your laptop there are a lot of things but you have to decide which is right for you both the tsa precheck and the global entry are department of homeland security programs and they both expedite security screening benefits from flights coming from american airports now global entry provides all of that plus expedited us customs screening for international air travelers and both memberships last for five years and a lot of credit cards reimburse the application fees as a benefit of being a cardholder. So before you apply, check your credit card. A lot of them have it and I bet you do. TSA pre-check is the best option if you're only going to travel domestically and maybe you don't have a current passport. It's run by the U.S. Transportation Security Administration, and it does save time. In research they did, we checked their website. Passengers waited less than five minutes. It's $85 to apply, and it's easier than global entry. You can walk in or apply online. So for TSA PreCheck, go to tsa.gov. Slash PreCheck, TSA. PreCheck. Online, you can submit an application in five minutes or schedule an appointment with any of over four hundred TSA PreCheck centers. A lot of the airports have it. Okay, and they make flying in America much easier. But if you're going to plan even one international trip, Global entry might be a better choice for you, but you have to decide if the extra security checks and the benefits or the hassles of applying for golden uh, for um, global entry is worth it. All the benefits of pre-check and faster custom screening for international travelers arriving at any of our airports. So I'm going to leave it up to you. go online to cvp.gov and follow all the prompts on the homepage to global entry. And then you say, what is it that I really need? Sometimes appointments are difficult to find near you, so you may have to book it months away or go to a location, even in the airport, or that may be far from your home. They're both good things to have. It's just personally what you're doing. Now, I'm not ready to go anywhere internationally yet. I still have my doubts about everything. And like so many of you, I'm watching and waiting. But be prepared, make life easy, and check them out. And now you're going to make life fun because you're going to be able to listen for the rest of the day, too, to all the great programs right here on WABC. We are coming up to 3 o'clock. And don't forget, we do this program every Sunday, starting at two. So thanks so much for being a part of it and for sharing. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC.